Amen. We're continuing our series in 1 Thessalonians. We're calling it Authentic Church. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to 1 Thessalonians. If you don't have a Bible, we've put some under the chairs. I would encourage you to grab one of those so you can follow along with us. We'll be on page 986. Page 986 in the Black Bibles, 1 Thessalonians. We're starting chapter 2 today. As we look at the letter to the Thessalonians, I knew I'd chip on that eventually. As we look at this letter, uh, we're going to see Paul talking about what it means to be genuinely transformed by the grace of God. So that's his definition of authenticity. Um, It's something that a lot of people throw around in our culture today. And as we look at the text, we will see, okay, this this is what Paul is defining authenticity as. This is is what it looks like to be real uh, and to be a real church. So we're using this letter as as a grid to say, okay, this is what it looks like for us to be real, for us to not be faking it. We've all seen a lot of fakery going around there. We're, we're tempted to fake things ourselves. Um, this next chapter, as we look at chapter two, we're calling it authentic ministry. Um, and I know that's kind of a catch-all term, but Paul is talking specifically about the way he did ministry in their lives. The word ministry just means serving. So how did he serve them when he first brought the gospel to them? And he's going to compare and contrast that to fake ways of doing it. He's going to talk specifically about how when he did come to them, his reception with them, his entrance into their lives, it wasn't, it's going to say in our text, vain. The word is empty, can be translated as well. So he's saying that it's like it, it wasn't without effect. There's actually a spiritual impact that took place when he was there. And so that's going to be a part of what he's defining. And then he's going to talk about that in contrast to false teachers of the day who would fake their way into people's lives to win over followers, and then there was actually no spiritual result. So they lure people with deception And then there's just kind of nothing there in the end. I I was thinking of a story from the movie A Christmas Story. Any of you seen A Christmas Story with Ralphie? It's an older movie from the 80s that takes place in the 40s. And in this movie, Ralphie is listening to radio shows. This is before TV. He's listening to the radio show Little Orphan Annie. One of the advertisers for it is Ovaltine. So it's like a, a chocolate milk or malt milk drink. And so the advertisers say that if you send off enough Ovaltine labels, then you can have a secret decoder ring mailed to you so that you can be a part of the secret club and decode secret messages that they'll send you over the radio. So of course, Ralphie is all in like any boy would have been. I was fascinated by stuff like that when I was a kid as well. And so he sends off for this uh, decoder ring. It's like a decoder pen. You know, number one, he's just interested in this high-tech spy stuff that he can get his hands on. But number two, he wants to be a part of the international ring of spies that are part of the secret network, too. And so he finally gets the ring. He must have drank hundreds and hundreds of glasses of Ovaltine, sends in all the labels, gets the ring. He's using it to decode messages that he's hearing over the radio. And when he finally writes out the message that he's decoded with the secret coder ring, it says, drink more Ovaltine. And there's just this like emptiness in his soul, right? He realizes, man, I bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. I was deceived. I am not a part of any international spy network. They just wanted me to buy more malted milk, right? That's that's all it was. And just like today, we're marketed at all the time, right? That's just a normal thing in our lives. And that makes us very cynical. Um, In the first century, people were marketed at all the time too, right? They didn't uh, f- you know, have following you internet ads. You know how like when you Google a pair of boots and then you keep seeing things for boots and it's freaking you out, they've invaded your privacy, right? Well, back in the first century, they didn't have the internet, 
but they did have people that would market at you and follow you around and, and try to trick you and try to get you to buy into something that wasn't really valuable. So Paul's saying, we weren't like that. We all have seen that, but that's not how we ministered to you. And he gives them a contrast. So let, let's read it now. We'll see how he sets up the contrast. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. So that word vain can mean empty. So it wasn't just empty. It wasn't just nothing. There was something that happened. Verse 2, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So this is Paul's definition of what it means to authentically serve others. I want to clarify one more thing about the word ministry. We're calling it authentic ministry, and that doesn't just mean apostles. It doesn't just mean preachers or people that run ministries. Um, again and again in the New Testament, we are all called to be ministers. We're all called as God's people to serve others. So this is a standard he set for all of us. It's a model he set for us to follow all as God's people. So let me pray for us and ask God to help us with it. God, uh, this is a high standard. Um, we're tempted to hide, uh, we're tempted to deceive, we're tempted to flatter. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be real, to be authentic, to serve people in love because we believe that's the kind of God you are. We believe you're the God that served us in love. So help us by your Holy Spirit to believe this and then in turn to act this out. Um, we pray that you would change us and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing that I want you to see as we work through this is we're kind of going through the, the progression here is that Paul calls us to speak through pain. When he's defining authentic ministry, he's going to say one of the marks of, of our lives being authentic is that we actually spoke through pain, um, different words and different translations like conflict, affliction, suffering, persecution. There's a lot of difficulties that they faced. And Paul says that's the mark, that's a heart mark of authenticity. Now, I just want to set up one more, one more kind of case study for you before we, we look at the actual text again, and that is a friend of mine that's also a pastor. He does this particular thing to be authentic in how he does ministry, and it's exactly the opposite of what I do. And so I want to share it with you because it's a case study in how it's more about the heart than our actual methods, because my, my fear with this sermon, we'll go ahead and you know, finish the rest of it. This is just a little sidebar here. My fear is that, that you're thinking, okay, this is setting us up to judge each other and to judge who's authentic and who's not. And that's not the direction we want to go. We actually want to be authentic, not be judging other people for how authentic they are or not. So, so this is a good case study. Uh, my buddy preaches in a black robe. And for me, the way I grew up, that just seems weird, Okay. No offense to him, I love him, I trust him, but it just comes across as weird to me. It comes across as weird and distracting just because the way I grew up. That's a cultural consideration, right? The reason he preaches in a black robe is he says he wants to mask who he is so that 
All that comes out is the word of God. Now, you know what I do? I preach in regular clothes. I, I preach in my everyday clothes. You know why I do that? For the exact same reason my buddy wears a robe. I want to be invisible, right? So we both have this motivation to be authentic and have people focus on the word and not on what we're wearing, and we do exactly the opposite thing. And so I just want to share that. as There's a case study there, and there's a lot of different versions of this that can come out where we say, oh, if you do that, you're always a faker. Or if you do that, that's always inauthentic. And I think sometimes you can actually do different things. Paul's talking about the motivation here, right? So Paul's going to be talking about what is your heart motivation for what you're going to do? What's your heart motivation? And here, Paul's saying, we're going to speak through difficulty. We got beat up in Philippi, and you know what? We came, and we still told you about the gospel. And you know what happened in Thessalonica? They got beat up again. And Paul says, that's a mark that we were willing to speak because this was really valuable even though we suffered, even though we got beat up. Verse 1, he says, "Um, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. It wasn't empty. Verse 2, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So he says, we boldly came and shared this good news. The gospel means good news. The good news is Jesus already forgave you of your sins by dying on the cross for you. If you trust in that, you can have a restored relationship to Jesus. And what then that looks like is then you have a life of having a head and a heart that's set right. So instead of living your life as an orphan, trying to kind of be greedy and collect stuff for yourself, you now can live a life of freedom of actually loving other people. And then someday, Jesus is going to come back, make all things right, and we'll be with him forever, and we'll have no more pain or suffering. But right now, they're still suffering, and Paul spoke that message to them through the midst of suffering, and he actually got beat up for speaking that message. And I want to challenge you that God's, God's going to call us to speak our message to our friends through suffering as well. It's not just missionaries going to hard countries that suffer, right? Just being a follower of Jesus means to be one who foregoes a life of pleasure and ease and just saying, I'm going to do everything in my power to relieve my suffering. Instead, now you've turned your eyes on, how can I, how can I serve other people? And sometimes that's going to mean you're going to speak through your own personal suffering and pain. Now, I want to clarify, that doesn't mean we, we seek it, right? There's a common senseness to this of like, okay, that means I need to beat myself up and pursue suffering. I, I don't think that's it at all. I think it's just know that this is the world we live in. The way Paul describes it in Colossians chapter 2 is he says he's filling up in his flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And when you compare the grammar there in Colossians with the way he uses those phrases in other places, it's very clear he's, he's not saying that he's going to make what Jesus did better than it already is, right? I'm filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions. What he's saying is I'm actually going to take Christ's afflictions and I'm going to deliver it around to other people. So through my afflictions, Paul is saying, I can take the afflictions of Jesus and share it with others. So these language we're using here, we speak through our pain about the pain of Jesus. And we would say the pain of Jesus was ultimately effective and powerful to save us and set us free from our guilt and from the power of sin in our life. And you know what it's going to take? It's going to take my own personal pain to share that with you sometimes. And I don't, honestly, I don't know that I've ever gotten beat up for sharing Christ, okay? I don't think I've ever gotten physically beat up. But all of us endure difficulty emotional pain, annoyance, hang-ups as we share Christ in this world. So on the one hand, 